it is the pink elephant theory. If the guest wants a pink elephant, get them a pink elephant. If you can't find a pink elephant, get a horse, paint it pink, convince the guest that's an elephant. Do whatever it takes to ensure they're happy. That's it. Are they happy? Chris Adams here with you. Um, exciting day today. We've got uh, somebody from EAG's team actually here on the podcast with us. And um, there's going to be no shortage of time not talking on this one. <laughs> uh, I have the one and only. We call him, we call him Kenny G, um, which has an even better story that we're going to get into in a second. But Kenny Gonzalez joining us here on the Pink Elephant. Good to see you, man. Yeah, likewise, man. Thank you uh, for having me, most importantly. Appreciate it. Of course. And right now, I know you can't see um, where you are, but you're actually down in St. Thomas right now, right? Yeah, man. In St. Thomas, getting uh, one of our luxury properties off the ground with uh, Marriott. So super excited. Beautiful place. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous uh, little town, little country. So super excited. Nice. So, all right, before we get into anything, um, the name. All right, so Kenny Gonzalez, but you go by Kenny G. Yeah. But but the reality is there's another <laughs> I, I, there's another Kenny G that people know about, right? Of um, course. He does have be- he has better hair than you. I mean, that's yeah. I, I I tried I tried when I was younger. The uh, the long locks didn't work for me. It uh, gave me a weird shape to the head, you know. So I had to get rid of it. <laughs> I had to get rid of it. <laughs> no, but wait a second. Let's go to all right. So the Kenny G that others might know. Yeah, obviously one of the greatest uh, saxophonists in in saxophone ever, and clarinet. Right? Yeah, uh, never pick it up, right? Yeah, for sure. You you actually, but you play, <laughs> but you actually played the sax, right? I, I did, I did, I did. Specialized with the uh, soprano saxophone. I played it uh, all through middle school. I was, uh, yeah, I, I was a specialist. I was, I was actually pretty good. I definitely was, and. And um, as funny as it may sound, I got the name Kenny G from my friends way after the fact that I played saxophone. Did you feel like a huge amount of like a weight sitting on you every time you'd pick that instrument up? I'm, I'm going to be frank with you. Uh, it took me a while to put two and two together uh, because I wasn't I wasn't as invested into it as uh, my family wanted me to be. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I picked it up. Wasn't really sure about it, you know. Uh, then the whole Kenny G thing kind of came up, but no one really called me that. Uh, so it's funny because once people started calling me Kenny G, I was able to to share that that connection. Because the first question people have when they hear me say Kenny G, they're like, oh, you play saxophone? Are you going to serenade us like Kenny G? And um, I, I respond, I, I can. And that always throws them off because they don't they don't expect it. I like it. I like at some point, I feel like we should do a podcast with the other Kenny G in you. Um, <laughs> just to talk about, you know, does he have the same challenge and weight sitting on him? Yeah, him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I think I think he, he probably doesn't. Right. And then the second question that people have after I say I played saxophone, they're like, well, can you play as good as him? And, you know, the conversation always uh, is very short. Uh, it's a simple that's answer. A ridiculous it's a no. Anyways. Yeah, that's it's, a, ridiculous. A, it's a no. It's like, yeah, you play basketball. Are you good as uh, yeah. Michael? Like, really? It's a ridiculous question. Anyway, yeah. All right. So now let's move past your younger years and yep. um, the Kenny G days and move into <laughs> yeah. where we are now. So now you're a part of EAG. You're on our team, an account exec, and um, really a specialist. Though one, you, I will say this: you are 
are jack of all trades. You are the Swiss Army knife for EAG, right? You are the guy that no matter what's going on, I'm like, uh, drop Kenny in <laughs> because um, you just you own it, you master it quickly, and have been uh, an unbelievable asset um, to EAG and just the, the growth around our brand as well. I'd love to talk about, we'll get into kind of what we do now, what you specialize in now, but how did you, it's an amazing story and I want people to understand because I think um, how you got into this industry uh, speaks volumes about what the possibilities are for others and what hospitality can do for you. Because I think we all know right now that the industry is struggling with a labor shortage and people not feeling that. Um, why, why should I go into that industry? What's the purpose? All I hear is long hours and, you know, people don't love you and all these things. So talk to us about your journey and how you got to this point and how you even got into this industry. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm going to take you back a few years. Um, so moving from Tennessee to, uh, South Florida, um, never really had a job in the hospitality world or, or, um, the industry as a whole in, in really any sense. Um, I got to live in Orlando for a little bit. I worked for Disney. We won't get into that part. Um, but once I moved down to Miami, um, I had to find a job. You know, it was uh, Miami's an expensive city. I was uh, 17, I think, turning 18. And um, I needed to, to, you know, get some kind of money coming in. So I went on a search for a while, you know, and um, sending applications. I'm on Indeed, all these websites that you would use to be able to find a job. And um, I think the story is, is important to know, especially for the purpose that you brought up, Chris, is that, you know, I, I wasn't uh, one of those that were able to finish college, right? I went to college for a few semesters, realized very quickly um, that it wasn't specifically for me. So moved down to um, South Florida, Miami. And um, I think at that point, people were still very heavy on diplomas and, and some type of showpiece that you were educated, right? So I'm looking for jobs, not really getting any responses. And about four weeks into living in Miami and trying very hard to find something, uh, I, I resorted to a last uh, a last option, which was Craigslist, right? And you and I know both. Craigslist back in 2000, uh, 2009, 2010 was a, uh, uh, was a weird place. So trying to find a good job there was really just the only uh, thing that I could do at that point. And I'll never forget, I saw this ad on there for Beach Valet. Coming from Tennessee, especially from where I'm from, um, there weren't a lot of places where Valet was very prominent, right? So the first thing I think of Beach Valet is, you know, well, I'm going to be working on a beach um, and I'll figure out the Valet part, right? I had some association of parking cars, but um, that's what I really thought that I was doing. And and boy, was I wrong. Uh, So I responded (laughs) to an ad. And um, the very next day, uh, a gentleman by the name of Edgar Hidalgo reached out to me um, and, you know, a mentor of mine now at this point, he responded and said, hey, can you be behind and kind of uh, going into your background? He's like, can you meet me behind the Ritz-Carlton in South Beach? So I'm like, this is it, right? I'm super excited. So I drive to uh, from West Kendall all the way to Miami. It's like 40 miles, maybe give or take. And I'm waiting on the on the backside on the beach of the Ritz Carlton. First time ever being at a Ritz Carlton, by the way. I've never stepped foot inside, but I got to see it. And uh, out of that curiosity, because yeah. I don't know the answer to this, how did you show up to that? Like, what were you wearing? 
Man, let me, you would have thought I was sponsored by Ralph Lauren. I had a, uh, I had a, a, a button up. I had some slacks on. I had some, some nice little dress shoes. Um, that was like the, the best that I had at that point as well. Didn't have a suit, didn't have uh, any sense of professional style, to be frank with you. I just knew that, you know, it looked like I was going to church and I thought that that was going to be good enough. I like it. So I, like it. I, I show up on the beach and, you know, I'm just waiting there patiently. And this guy just comes zooming up on a golf cart. You Kenny G? Or he said, you Kenny Gonzalez? I said, yeah, that's me. He said, hop in the golf cart. I had my little resume folded in a piece of paper in my hand. Uh, really didn't have much on it, to be frank with you. Um, but I had it, right? In case you would have asked, it would have been a very short read. And um, I, I'll never forget, I handed him my resume. And um, he maybe peeked at it for a second, folded it, and put it right in the golf cart. And we started driving. Now, if you're familiar with South Beach, the Ritz-Carlton to the Lowe's is relatively very close, about a block away. Um, and we were able to um, pull up to the Lowe's hotel. And he asked me maybe four or five questions. And uh, he says, okay, well, you've got about three days to, uh, to show us what you got. And I said, okay, you know, well, what is, what is the job? <laughs> What's the question? And he pointed at the beach. He said, go walk up to that gentleman there, introduce yourself. And um, he'll tell you he'll tell you when to report. At that point, I realized that I'm not parking cars. <laughs> and I was really excited <laughs> to park cars in Miami, right? I'm thinking all the nice cars and uh, realized very quickly I wasn't I wasn't going to park a car, but I was excited to at least be given an opportunity. Well, at that point, I was happy to have a job, right? So I go meet this gentleman, a super nice guy who was in the business for a little while working in the company that I was working with. And um, he was able to tell me, hey, be here tomorrow, 7 a.m. You got to go to the office, fill out your paperwork, and get your uniform. So I did exactly that. Walked over down Lincoln Road, uh, went to the office building, uh, and then that's when I joined Boucher Brothers. So very next day, I show up to the beach, 7 a.m. I am wearing a white cotton polo, white cotton shorts, white shoes, white socks. I mean, this was 13 years ago, right? That was exactly what people wore that worked on the beach. And let me tell you, Chris, um, it took me all of about 15 to 20 minutes to realize this might not be it. <laughs> the heat, the sand, um, and I still hadn't even started the job yet, like at all. I, <laughs> I just stood there for a minute and said, oh, it's hot. <laughs> it's hot. So uh, everyone comes out. I start to meet the team and then we get to work. Right. And my training was was very, very quick. Hey, grab this stack of chairs roll it out, grab this stack of chairs, roll it out. And it's everything's by hand, very physical. Midday after lunch, I sat on my, uh, I had a motorcycle at the time. Before I went back out to the beach, I sat on my motorcycle and it took every bit of me not to drive out of that hotel and never come back. I thought to myself, this is, this isn't it. There's no way that I can do this. I don't want to do this. I don't like it. Um, but, you know, moral compass, I was like, I can't just do that. Um, so I go back out to the beach. We end up shutting down. It was about 500 chairs for about six people. It was a lot of work. Never forget riding home, started to feel the aches and pains of that labor, walking on the sand, walking on the sand, 12 hours, carrying equipment. That'll do it to you. Yeah. I'll never forget. Got to my house, started talking to my, to my father. At that point, I was still living with my parents. And, um, my father tells me, well, just remember you don't have many opportunities knocking on your door right now. 
And, uh, and that kind of waited uh, with me, right? It was, it was pretty heavy, quick little saying off the cuff that he probably didn't think too much of, um, but it changed my perception. So never being in hospitality, terrified of, of talking to the guests. And I mean, absolutely terrified. I changed my perception and said, you know what? This is all I have right now. No one's knocking on my door to bring me in to work for them. I might as well show up and do my absolute best. And so I kind of started to apply that mindset and it took me a while to realize what the industry was as a whole, right? I'm coming from a smaller area in Tennessee, Clarksville, Tennessee, where I was raised. And I think our nicest hotel at that point was a country Inn and suites, right? And there's no valet at the country Inn and suites. There's no, uh, you know, incredible restaurants, nightlife, none of that is involved at the country Inn and suites. So, I started to realize, you know, wow, this is this is a pretty incredible industry. And once I finally started getting comfortable with the guests, and I'm saying after a few weeks of running away from the guests, the guests would come out, they would approach the beach hut, and I would go the opposite way for whatever reason I could find to stay away from interacting with the guests. Um, but when I finally built the courage to start dealing with the guests, I really fell in love with that aspect the the guest connection, the building the emotional connection piece and realizing, man, I can really turn someone's day inside out. So that's when I fell in love with hospitality. And um, I was very fortunate through my time with with Boucher Brothers that I was able to, to do just that. So that is that's essentially how I fell in. Thankfully, Craigslist was able to uh, put me on the right track. So let me ask you when you so you obviously started never done it before. Um, when you left Boucher Brothers, what was your what were you doing for them? So through my time in Boucher Brothers, I, I held various positions, um, starting off as a beach attendant, eight bucks an hour, grew relatively quickly from, you know, assistant manager to manager, um, from manager to uh, director of operations. I was I don't think I was even 21 yet when I got to run the largest operation that our company had at the time, which was the Fountain Blue. I was there as the operations manager overseeing a beach operation of 800 chairs, um, a food and beverage operation that was pumping out uh, incredible amounts of money for a beach hut that does not have a bar or a grill on it. Um, so I went from there to uh, director of operations holistically for the company, specialized in a, in a couple of key openings, um, kind of putting the boots on the ground to open up some hotels, uh, SLS South Beach, uh, one hotel, St. Regis Ball Harbor, uh, just a few to note. And I went from there to regional general manager, whereas I was, I was overseeing a region for the company, uh, representing our ownership, dealing with uh, about 200 hotel partners, uh, got to do some really, really cool stuff. So um, the position that I had after COVID um, specifically was I was running the St. Regis Ball Harbor as the director of operations for uh, the outdoor spaces. So I was running the pool operations, the beach operations, um, and we needed some support in that specific hotel. So I, I stepped in to try to basically get it right. Um, prior to that, right before COVID, I was also the uh, corporate trainer for the company. So traveling around to to the states that we were operating in and, and just really instilling as as much training and development that i could into uh, this younger demographic that the company employs uh, so i've held many many different hats within the business you know there's a few things i want to touch on uh, from that story and the first one is um, 
the fact that when you started doing it, one, you had no idea that you wanted to do it or you knew yeah. nothing about it. Right? Yeah. And it was hard. Like, it, and, and forget the, it was hard emotionally, or I was nervous or I had anxiety because I didn't really know what I was doing. It, it was hard work. It, it was the physical side of what it took to just execute that job. So you take the physical aspect of, of what was required to do that job. You take the emotional piece of you're young, just trying to figure out life in this, at this point. And I just, I just need a job. Right. And then you take the anxiety of, I'm in a new role. I don't really know what I'm doing yet. And this job requires me to engage and interact with other humans, which can bring anxiety on top of it. So you had multiple things that were saying like, this probably is not right for you. Everything in your body was telling you like, like look for something else. And I think that's important to remember because when we look at where, I think a younger gen, look, I, I've got kids that are at this point in life trying to figure it out. I think mm-hmm. we have people that work within the hotels that we all get to be a part of and help open or operate. And they live in this, in this moment of, it doesn't feel right right now. Um, it doesn't feel good at the moment. Um, you were getting paid eight, eight something an hour. I'm not making money right now. I'm not driving the car I want right now. And there's all these things that are telling you, you know what? I got to bounce. I need to find something else. And I think the fact that you said, you know what? I don't know why. No, I didn't have some, some, you know, crystal ball that said, if I do this, this is what's going to happen for me. But the fact of the matter is you showed up. You showed up and you simply said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but what I'm going to do is the best I possibly can. And I think that there's a huge um, lesson to be learned in that right there. And and I had a very similar situation of, of how I got into this industry and how I launched the company. And I look at where you are now, which wasn't that long ago, the story you just told, right? You're not talking about a 30, 40 year process of, of, you know, work my way up the ladder for 45 years to get to X. This is a pretty short amount of time to stumble into something. And the lesson to take from it from anybody that's potentially listening and, and trying to figure life out, or maybe it's, it's tough right now is, are you showing up and are you giving it everything you have to be the absolute best? And yeah. I, I think if you can, if that's your motto in life, no matter what you're doing, is that regardless of what's going on, I'm just going to show up and just be the best I can. I think that right there could be like literally just, you know, get that tattooed on you somewhere because that's the motto. <laughs> For sure. If you live by that, you're going to be okay, right? You're good. I mean, you're good. So that's the one thing I think that you you just talked about that really it resonated with me. The second thing is Boucher Brothers. And I, I want to give mad props to look, they're a great company. Um, I have so much respect for them and, and you still have an amazing relationship with Michael and the team over there. The fact that they're able to identify talent and then I'm going to, I'm going to use a word that typically probably isn't a, um, used in a, in a positive connotation but I'm going to use it in a very positive way. 
they find talent and they exploit it. They find talent, they identify it and they go, no, no, I see something in you that you don't realize you have. And we're about to turn you into something that you're supposed to be. And the fact that they did that and they invested in you. And I know for a fact, we've had stories how much they invested in you um, over the course of the decade that you were with them. Um, it speaks volume to who they are as a brand. And I think it speaks oh, volume absolutely. to how much they've grown as a company. And, you know, we kind of live by that rule at EAG, just do the right thing, right? Just, uh, yeah, it's going to cost, but Chris, it's going to cost us money. Just do the right thing. Do the yeah. right thing. And I believe that the universe, the God, whatever you believe in is going to repay you a hundredfold in the long run. And I think Boucher Brothers um, continues to see that kind of success because you are living proof of what they represent, who they are as a brand. Um, and so, you know, I just I just want to make sure that they get all the kudos and respect that they deserve um, because you're walking proof of what they de develop and create. So um, I know you can speak hours about Michael and the team over at Boucher Brothers. Yeah, no, I, I, I tell you, you're, you're right on the on the nose with that, right? These these guys started, you know, 30 plus years ago with a few chairs on the beach, right? And uh, 25 cents a chair is where they started. And um, they were the first managers in their company. They were the first ones pulling the chairs, setting up the towels. And um, the gentleman who I mentioned earlier was the one who found me and, and, and you know, interviewed me, uh, if we call it an interview, and I give him a hard time for it every time. Um, but he's, he's a product of, of the exact same uh, environment that I came from as well, you know, and, and it, it was literally, it's, you know, that gentleman has a very similar background to, to me. He came in at the age of like 16, worked his way up to GM. He's now the COO of the company. And, um, he found me when he was a GM, took me under Michael. Finally, um, when I started to, to make a little bit of noise, you know, cause, uh, once I broke out of my shell, I was definitely loud and proud about it. And I know you, you know, there's no shortness of that. Um, and then Michael took me under and Michael started to guide me and, and let there be no mistake. It's been, it was a very, very long, uh, 10 years. I was learning in every aspect of the business. I was learning everything new day by day. I didn't have a pamphlet. I didn't have a book. I didn't take a test. It was all on hand experience and, and just, you know, uh, time that was invested through my leaders right and i and i pay the most uh respect and love to to edgar and michael for being the ones to really show me the way and and there were many times where both of them i'm sure uh wanted to smack me upside my head uh, i know that's a fact right because i wasn't perfect by any means but i think the can you speak to that for one, can you speak to that for one second and the fact that over the course of let's just call it a decade right of going from where you started to where you became, um, within Boucher, you know, I use that term failing. Doesn't make you a failure, right? That process of learning how often, and I'm, I'm asking a question on purpose. Cause I know the answer. How often did we make mistakes? How often did you make mistakes in that process? But those mistakes didn't determine your future. They were part of the process to get you where you needed to be. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it was, there was definitely, um, they, the the opportunities, the failures, uh, they came in droves when they did and they were tough, right? You, you got to think about it. I'm, I'm a young kid at that point. 
um, finally getting into my 20s, getting some real responsibility. Like I said, I was running the largest operation for the company um, at a very young age. And um, of course, it wasn't going to be perfect. But the level of patience and care and listen, you messed up <laughs> and you messed up big. But let's sit down and make sure that it never happens again. And let me show you why. Let me explain to you why. But I will tell you, I think, and again, this is a leadership lesson. You, you know me and, you know, I, I, I think our industry right now is at a crossroads. And if I'm on one more panel, if I speak at one more conference and the number one topic that comes up, labor, 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 what do we do? What do we do? Right. Culture, leadership, leadership, culture. Like it's just, it, it's, it's a repetitive thing we're talking about. And I think what you're speaking about is the fact that you had individuals at Boucher that said the mistakes you were making were mistakes. They were, they were the right mistakes. They were the right kind of mistakes. And I know that sounds weird, but from a leadership perspective, I want our team, if you're going to make a mistake, let me see you make a mistake for the right reasons, right? Don't, you were making mistakes because you were trying to do the right thing. You made a bad choice in the midst of that. Next thing you know, mistake happens. Okay, let's figure out and learn from it. it. It had nothing to do with laziness. It had nothing to do with, I just don't care about what the process is or about what we should be doing. You just made a bad choice, at it, whether it was just being immature in the moment, really trying to learn the position. That's a leadership lesson for people that are listening. Your team can make mistakes. It needs to be a teachable moment. It's not something where let me let's go get HR. Let's get the paperwork going. You know, you're on your last leg. Did they make a mistake for the? Was it a good mistake? Hmm. And I think that those mistakes that you made and Michael and the team identified the fact that, yeah, you were an idiot at times. You made some mm -hmm. dumb choices for the right reasons. Yeah. And that was part of your process of figuring out your way, man. That was, that was everything, right? It was realizing that, you know, and some, I think a big note to what you just said, Chris was, and something that my leaders taught me coming up was like, processes are ever so important. You need them. You need them as the backbone. You need them as the guideline. You need them as that, that true North, right? But you can't manage the process. You've got to manage the person. Um, and for me, seeing that that's how I was treated. Yeah, the process was the process. But me as a person that was coming up, that was young, that was hungry, uh, sometimes bit off a little bit more than I could chew because I, I wanted to do good for for the company, for myself, for my growth. And them recognizing that, you know, the mistake, the failure, the opportunity that arose, um, it wasn't worth blowing up out of proportion because they knew that um, they were still going to be invested and that I was going to learn. And, and, you know, one thing big and Edgar, one of my mentors always told me this, it's not about the failure, it's about the response. And I think, you know, a lot of leaders understand that a lot of people speak to that, but it's when that happens, what are your next steps? What are you doing to overcome? What are you doing to move forward? And that was always the biggest thing is focusing on how to move forward from that particular opportunity, no matter how often it happened. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, let's fast forward. Boucher happens. Yep. Then you decide to what happens after Boucher? So, um, you know, I was I was finding myself. I went from really loving creating the guest experience personally 
to then finding my passion for teaching people how to really create that guest experience and just caring about people to help them, you know, move forward, help them grow, help them kind of see the opportunities that arise in this industry. So I was really passionate about doing the openings, right? I really enjoyed finding hotel operations or, or being invited to hotel operations that were getting ready to open up and, you know, really give everyone that, that 10, 12 days of everything you absolutely had to walk away impacting someone. So that was the direction that I really wanted to get into because that's what I found myself being most passionate about. So um, <laughs> we're in Turks and Caicos and I'm opening up Ritz Carlton. Uh, happened to meet you there, happened to see, you know, what Ellis Adams is all about. I had the opportunity to meet Jason a few times uh, prior to on a couple different openings. And um, as I learned more about, you know, Ellis Adams group, and I thought, wow, this was, this was what I've been wanting to do. I wanted to be a part of exactly that, you know, uh, a company that focus on that focuses on the various things that we focus on, but more so, uh, and most importantly for me, it's that culture driven piece and how we add value coming into spaces and doing the things that we do, building the relationships that we build and just jumping from, from one end, which was an, an incredible company that I, that I was devoted to for, you know, 13 years, uh, to stepping into a new world. Um, but feeling that same feeling of I can make an impact on somebody's life, no matter how you want to slice it. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you made the transition and, you know, we started this conversation, EAG has no intention of going into the, to the beach chair business. Um, Boucher is the best of the best. If you're, if you're looking, we a hundred percent say you should sign them. They are the, they are yeah. the best to do it. And we have no intention of going into that space. At the same time, there's a lot of there's a lot of times there's a, a weird kind of overlay where we're coming in to train, do an opening, whatever, with a team that at some point maybe hasn't decided if they're bringing on Boucher yet. Um, are they even going to bring on a Boucher? Are they trying to do it internally? Um, and so there was there was at times a gap um, between the two. And so there was that conversation that started that said, okay, how can we bridge the gap that says, we don't want to take that business. We want to, how do we, how do we almost enhance that business and, and be that middleman that says, let me show you why you need a specialist. We're going to show you that. And then when you realize the specialist is necessary, cool, call these guys, right? So finding that, that unique way to find that niche. So you, you transition um, to EAG, how did, how was that, um, how was that first six months of transitioning from Boucher where you're on the sand every day, you're just, you're grinding and then you transition to EAG, which is again, I think culturally very similar to Boucher, but very different, um, in what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Um, man, it was terrifying. <laughs> um, to, to say that, to say the least, you know, uh, it was exactly that, right? Going from the hustle and bustle every single day, right? As, I, as I've always told you, um, I like to produce, right? And I'm used to being able to produce uh, for my company day in and day out. And, and the transition um, was different because there was that, that slower period that was rather immediate. Um, and there was, there was, speaking frankly, 
there was a little bit of doubt in saying like, uh oh, <laughs> did I did I make the right choice? Right. Because of what I was used to and what I had been through and um, just going day to day for so long, focusing on that. And then now transitioning into a company where um, I have to find where I fit. Right. And uh, we had conversations, you know, me giving you a call after that first transitional period. And then I'm at home for a month. Never done that before. It was unfamiliar. I didn't know if I still had a job. I'm like, man, I hope Chris answers when I call him. Um, but you did, and I appreciate it. And your paycheck um, was still showing up, so it was still showing up. I'm like, man, someone made a mistake for sure. Uh, but you know, it was it was a little uncomfortable because I went from devoting so much of my my life and time and sacrificing to be able to be that producer, to be that person that um, when you know Michael would give me a call and say, I need you to go into this place and handle this or or when you know i was on a property or when i was implementing something new in training i had to produce and that was the daily grind that we find ourselves in and then coming to that immediate stop you know uh it was a little bit uncomfortable in the beginning uh because i had been used to being a part of something whether it's my team whether it's a new implementation whether it's a new operation just representing a brand and uh, it was a slow uh, integration process, to say the least. And I remember, you know, I, I called you and uh, I'm sure you heard the nervousness in my voice um, and, and you made it very clear to me. You said, you know, listen, I, I trusted in you when I hired you. Right. And we hadn't had too many conversations um, extensively outside of that uh, prior to. And you just told me, trust in me. And, and that's exactly what I did. I, I held on. I uh, talked myself out of uh, going insane, being at home for, for the amount of time that I'd been at home because it had never happened before. Uh, and then sure enough, right, as you said earlier, I, I my biggest thing was finding where I can fit and add value. And, and that's been my goal since I've joined the company since the very beginning. It's what else can I do? And it's very similar to Boucher. There's a lot of things that we do that, you know, I may not be the most familiar with but it's the opportunity that's given to learn, to understand, to master. And it was the same thing for me when I joined Boucher Brothers. I had never been a manager before. I had never led a team before, let alone a team older than me in some cases. So learning how to manage is one thing, learning how to manage people that are twice your age and to build that level of respect and, and finding the right way in, uh, to, to be a leader, right? And I was every phase of, of a leader uh, in that in that company. I was the pushover that was friends with everyone. And I tried to be the cool guy. And then, and then I immediately switched over to being way too strict and uh, might've gotten an OSHA complaint or two, but you know, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, and then, uh, and then finding that balance of, um, you know, firm affair, but still having fun uh, and being able to transition that into what we do here. Right. And keeping that same type of mentality, keeping that same cultural element uh, was the, the best part once we really got the, the wheels rolling and I got to see, okay, yeah, this is why I joined this group. But it was, it was, it was scary. <laughs> I, I felt it. I felt it. Yes, yes, um, yes. So now, you know, you're fully entrenched in EAG. We're a couple of years, going a couple of years deep into this. What is, what do you think has been the biggest learning um, outside of technical um, things that you've learned and different areas that you've been exposed to now, what do you think has been the biggest thing that's been, um, pro or con, um, that you've learned, um, being a part of EAG? 
I think there could be there could be a couple things, right? Like I just mentioned, for me, one of the, one of the best things is stepping into a place um, where you're given an opportunity to prove yourself, right? Um, but also learn new things, right? And I've been very fortunate to learn new aspects of an industry that I never knew before, by any stretch. There, we we do things now in the company, or, or that I specifically do, that I'd never been a part of, and and it's not so much being in the position to do them than it is being given the opportunity to be a part of them, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Right. Uh, I think for me, that is, it's showing that the culture of our brand, the culture of our leadership, you know, stemming from the top and finding people who are willing to, you know, grab the bull by the horns, become comfortable with being uncomfortable and, um, and trying to master it in, in the best way possible uh, for me is, is a constant reminder of who I am and, and the hard work that I put into to this career, right? Uh, and constantly being challenging myself to being put in positions where I may not know it, but I'm going to learn it, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to be the best at it at some point, right? Even if I'm not the best, my mentality is always in that regard, right? I love the fact that we push the envelope. And for me, that is one of my favorite aspects of being a part of this brand is it's always something new. It's always something fresh. It's always something every day is a brand new chapter when we're here. You know, just like you said, I'm in St. Thomas right now. Last week was LA. Before that was JW, uh, was Clearwater. I'm sorry. And, and it's like, no matter if you're doing the same thing in different places, it's a completely different story. So we continue to do all these new, fresh things. And, um, well, that's by far one of my favorite aspects of of what we do and the learning is to just continue to be flexible and adaptable continue to operate um in any way you can with the parameters that you're given and make the best of it yeah back. i think um i would hope that in that process you know we have you have support you have people that um you know as we see again i think part of leadership is identifying talent and exposing it right pulling out of you something you didn't realize was there so when you're getting pulled into something you go wow i've never done this before i've got to learn it um two things are happening one you have somebody a leader that i that sees something in you and where you can be successful in a specific area right that at least at least for us but then once you're pulled into that area sure. you have the support attached to you that's not cool good luck throw you on an island and the best yeah um <laughs> yeah but it's giving you, it's yeah. giving you resources. It's giving you, um, the, the surrounding you with the, the right people to ensure that you're able to take that gift or talent that you didn't know you had and start to realize as you, um, get pushed a little bit, like, Oh, wait a second, wait a minute. Like I, I, I nailed that. Oh, wait a second. That call was cr And you start realizing really quickly, like, I didn't realize I actually, I am good at this. Um, and I, I think with, mm. with you specifically, I've seen in multiple areas where we've positioned you strategically to watch you flourish because I, I knew I saw, I saw exactly that thing that, that I knew would be special, um, for those areas and I'm watching it happen. Right. And the cool thing about it is seeing you watch it happen seeing you go 
transition from, okay, yeah. let me figure it out to, you know what? I'm good at this, right? <laughs> it's finding that, okay, mm-hmm. a little bit because sure. that went a little bit too good because you're finding that, that voice, that place that um, it's not just where you belong. It's the purpose that you have inside you. And it's a matter of figuring out how to position you uh, to maximize that. And so it's been very cool for us to watch you go from those first few calls of unsure, unsteady, what am I doing? What is my place <laughs> to now? I think it couldn't be more opposite of you being like, Oh no, no, no. I know a place now I'm figuring out. Cause yeah. I think the one thing we've tried to do, and I think you grasped probably a hold of better than almost anyone is I'm always pushing the envelope. Right. I'm I've got stuff going on that no one knows about, like because I, I want to push you picked up on that real quick. And for you, it was mm-hmm. I'm not trying to find my place. I'm going to write down what my place is. And hey, we don't do this yet, but we should be doing this. And this is how we're going to do it. And here's three people that I'm going to connect us with on why we should be doing it. And here's the you basically are writing your own business models within the company of how we're going to continue to expand and grow. And I mean, you're helping our company um, do what you do best. Um, You know, Kenny G always selling, but you're selling, (laughs) but you're not just selling as a salesperson. You're selling because you're passionate, because you see an opportunity. You see a gap that you know that we can fill. And uh, it's cool to see you progress in that process for sure, man. I know, definitely. And I I appreciate that. You know, the biggest thing... um, is that I'm very prideful of having the opportunity that I have, right? Because I'm, I'm fortunate, feet are always on the ground. Um, and I'm lucky, I'm, I'm, I'm luckily, I'm lucky to be where I'm at. So it's every day that I'm out here, putting that, uh, that, that brand on that representation that I have when I step outside, and I interact with whoever, my mindset is, I'm an ambassador, I have to represent the brand to the fullest. But beyond that, where else can we go? Right. And I think seeing that mindset from you right off the jump uh, definitely gave me the confidence to be able to say, all right, cool. Well, I know he's willing to figure out things that he probably doesn't even have on his docket just yet. I'm going to join the club and and we'll figure it out. Right. We'll figure it out. And I always reach out to you prior, but I'm always looking at where, what, how different angles and just thinking right always just throwing stones trying to see where they will land um but i think just as much as you and i think that's the beauty about our company is that each and every one of us look at it as how can we continue to grow this thing how we how can we continue to just bring in new value new opportunity uh new elements of expansion so on and so forth and, um, you know, you say it all the time, or, or at least I say it all the time, like, I'm, I'm always going to keep swinging. I'm always going to keep swinging. Every person that I meet, and this is a saying that I always tell people, every interaction is an opportunity. Every single interaction is an opportunity, whether you're um, working on the beach, servicing a guest, you're taking an order, you're passing someone in the hallway, right? What does that interaction look like? And when you pass that person, are they going to remember you or not? So I take every interaction as an opportunity to not only explain what our brand's all about, but showcase the 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 level that we're at and the opportunities that we could provide to other people, other places, other areas that may need the help. And you know, whether it sticks or not, that interaction 
is going to be something that they remember, right? Whether they remember it as Kenny G gave me the whole, you know, book of services and all I did was meet him. Um, and it's never pushy. It's, my mindset is I just want to make you aware, you know, I just want to, I just want to let you know. Uh, but I'm always looking at that exact thing, that, that opportunity, where is it? What can we do? Who can we connect with to continue? Yeah, to and I life? think the, you know, the word opportunity keeps coming up and I want to spin on that for one second that says, you know, we talked about those individuals that are trying to figure out life. They could be young. They, they could not be young, just trying to figure out their, their place, their purpose, what's next. We talked about the industry, hospitality in general, that's it's struggling um, from a labor perspective. Um, I think from a people spending money, there's no struggle right now. People are spending money like, you know, it's growing on trees, but the labor aspect, there's, there's a challenge right now. And I, when I look at the opportunity piece, I don't think people truly understand what opportunities lay in front of you in this industry. And it becomes very frustrating um, when you hear people talk about hospitality as though it's a pass-through job. Well, I did this while I was really trying to do something else, not realizing what hospitality, hospitality is an unbelievable career that can provide unbelievable opportunities for those that take it seriously. And I think you could speak to that for God knows how long of saying, I, just like myself, I, I, you know, I, I didn't graduate college and to take individuals that say that wasn't my path that, and then that's not for everyone. I'm not, I'm not here promoting in any way, shape or form that, you know, school's not the, the best thing for you. But if we're talking about individuals in our, in our industry that have everything from degrees from Ivy league schools to those that never finished college, that are at the top of the food chain that are getting opportunities to travel the world to see things that less than one percent will ever see or experience to eat in locations that most will never get to to eat at to um, meet people that you never thought you would get to meet to go to countries and locations that 99.9 percent of the world will never get to experience this field this this industry they give it to you on a silver platter they hand it to you, and it's one of very few industries that will do that for you. All you have to do is rec recognize the opportunity, show up even when it hurts, and give your absolute damn best. If you do that, the opportunities are endless. And you, you know, speak to that. How many, how many countries have you been to? What have you been able to experience? Where have you been able to eat? Things you get to do, not once. Not like, oh my God, that was a vacation. I'm talking on a regular every few weeks. Speak to just, just a few minutes touch on for those that might be watching on what's out there as an opportunity to be in this industry. You know, I, I, I will never forget the first time I left the country to do an opening. Um, and it was an addition opening. And it was the most mind-boggling thing because I was going across the world to uh, Bodrum, Turkey. And, you know, didn't know where Bodrum was, had to look it up on a map. And I'll never forget landing in Bodrum and uh, getting to the hotel and kind of being in shock when I stopped into that, that space, uh, stepped into it for the very first time and taking a look at what the view was and realizing I'm here. This is, this is real. Right. And I think that's where I caught that bug as well. Um, same thing having the opportunity to, to do Greece, right. 
having the opportunity to hit Abu Dhabi, uh, go to Dubai, which are places that, you know, coming out of where I'm from in Tennessee, you know that it's possible to go to some of these places, um, but you don't really understand how possible it is, right? It's kind of like more out of reach. Uh, I think, you know, this year alone, we've, we've hit uh, Chile for the very first time, um, Bolivia, uh, which is incredible, you know, all through Mexico, like there's no tomorrow. The Caribbean as a whole, Turks and Caicos, uh, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, St. Thomas multiple times, Aruba, um, to name a few. It's it's one of those things where it's like you really are able to see what this industry can give you back, right? And a little bit of hard work, like you said. Uh, another another saying that's that's very important to me is no one's going to do for you what you aren't willing to do for yourself. You want to see the world, you got to go get it, right? And and this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to eat in some of these places that you're saying, right? Like I've been very fortunate to have dinners that, I mean, I, I'll go home afterwards and think to myself, did that really just happen? And it's all because I saw the opportunity. And I think that's that's what lacks a little bit in a lot of spaces is that people don't really recognize what could be in front of them because they don't see the forest, they focus on the tree. And if they just shift their their perspective a little bit and they look what else is beyond there and, and really understand what this industry can give. And just like you said, a lot of people see it as passing through. And that's always been something that I've been passionate about and sharing my story and my travels uh, and the opportunities, right? I think I think an opportunity uh, or something to talk about that I think is very important, at least to me personally as well, was having the opportunity to be the service consultant for the Miami Marlins for various seasons, right? And so maybe that wasn't necessarily a, a traveling gig, uh, but we've replaced one of the largest training platforms uh, in the world, and that was Disney. And uh, no knock on Disney by any means, but the Marlins were able to see that through Boucher Brothers, there was a group of young individuals that were very passionate about service and they brought us in to help develop their culture. And, and we had the opportunity to impact thousands of guests in one night. You're talking 9,000 people. So I hold that with just as much weight as being able to fly across the world and see the things that I have and do the things that I've been able to do because it's all about taking advantage of every single knock at the door. I look at our phones. And we live in a world right now that's, you know, we've called it a, you know, a Burger King society. My way, right away. It's, it's a right now, right? I can click a button and get anything I want right now, thanks to our, our technology. The problem with that is that's now translated into every part and aspect of people's lives. And there's no sense of, of true time. So in their minds, I'm going to start this job with the expectation in their minds, just like I can click on my phone and an Uber shows up nine minutes later. I'm going to start this job and I'm going to be the general manager next week. Well, I don't, you know, I'm going to be, well, how come I'm not on a plane going to Dubai yet? And not understanding or realizing the hard work. Are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to actually just to bust your tail to have days that, dude, do you know how many times, you know, launching this or even before this, when I worked for Ritz Carlton, I would get home and just, just be beat up. 
like physically hurt from from what I was I was physically having to do it at times. Yet you get up the next day and you keep going and you keep pushing for the possibility of what could be. Nothing was guaranteed to me, nothing was guaranteed to you, but you recognized at some point what possibly could be. I don't know if I'm going to get it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to launch that company. I don't know if they're going to choose me to go open that hotel and fly across the world or go eat at that dinner. I don't know if I'm going to get it, but there's a possibility of if I just push, if I just keep fighting hard, if I just get up again. And unfortunately, we live in that world that after six months of grinding, it's like, oh, this ain't worth it, man. There's no, there's no growth. There's no this. They're not doing this. And I'm like, you don't realize what's at your fingertips. And it doesn't mean you have to stay with the same company for 35 years to get there. But does it mean that you keep grinding? Yeah. Does it mean you keep getting up every day? Yeah. And in the midst of that getting up, you might transition from Boucher to EAG. That doesn't mean that Boucher did something wrong. It doesn't mean that you were done with Boucher, that you were fed up. But the grinding every day opened up the next opportunity for you. And there might come a point in time, God forbid, that EAG transitions Kenny G to the next thing. Why? Because he gets up every day and he keeps grinding and he keeps pushing, even on the days that it might not feel like doing it. But in the process of it, you're jumping on a plane and you're flying to Dubai. You're jumping on a plane and you're looking at the beach in St. Thomas. You're jumping on a plane and you're opening the St. Regis in Kenai. Those things happen because you keep doing it. And the opportunities start to unfold and you realize... The older you get, wow, it really wasn't that long ago that I was yanking pool chairs down the beach in an all-white outfit, hurting, going, why am I doing this? That wasn't 35 years ago. It wasn't that long ago that you realize now I'm sitting in a suite in an air-conditioned room in St. Thomas (laughs) doing a podcast, right? But because you got up every day because there was an opportunity and the possibility of no one's going to give yeah. it to you, man. You don't, you're not owed anything. You're not yeah. owed anything. Are you willing to get up every day and fight for it? And man, I can't be more proud of, of you, what you've done to get to this point. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you. And I, I guarantee you if Michael, if, if it was me, you and Michael doing this podcast together, he'd be saying the same things. This is just scratching the surface of what's next. Today that we think is where we're at is literally, literally the beginning of where you're supposed to be. And um, it, it excites me for what, what the future has uh, in store for you um, because of who you are, because of what you represent, because of um, not just the grind and the fact that you put in the hard work, um, but you're, you're finding your space. You're figuring out who you are. Um, you're, you're pushing yourself into your purpose and the fact that we get to be a part of that in a very small way, um, and get to be along your journey. Um, it, it excites me. Um, it's an honor to be a part of it alongside you, man. So thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for all that you're going to continue to do. Um, but so if anybody wants to follow along on this ridiculous journey with you, um, are you on are you on social media yeah 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 for the most part for the, for the most Man. part <laughs> here and yeah, there I'm, I'm here and there i'm here and there i'm here and there yeah 
um, Instagram, uh, the LinkedIn, we'll, we'll get going again. You know, I've just been, I've been focused on exactly what you said, right? It's, I'm focusing on, you know, expanding the brand. I'm focusing on building myself, uh, mastering the opportunities that are, that are being presented in my way, um, uh, being, um, you know, a, a beacon to those who are coming off of Craigslist, right? That's, that's, that's the focus. And, and in the meantime, when I can, when I can share something on the socials, uh, I absolutely will. Um, but, um, the focus right now is, is definitely the grind, but I'm always here if anyone wants to tap in and, uh, and just hear a little bit more about it because that's, uh, it's, it's important to me for me to show people that, you know, you can come out of a small place and, um, grind a little and get the opportunities that, that, that we've been given for sure. I love that. I love that. Feel free to follow along Kenny's journey um, as well as ours at EAG and myself. You can find us on Instagram at Ellis Adams official or myself at Chris Adams underscore EAG. Please keep tuning in each and every week. We're going to have amazing people just like Kenny G hanging out with us um, just to give insight. And, you know, like I keep saying over and over, I just had a conversation with someone about this. Kenny is why do we do the podcast? I don't care if only one person listens this week or one person tunes in and sees, is it going to help someone? Is there one person that says, man, dude, today was the day I just needed that because I'm going to get up tomorrow because I realize there's opportunity in this. And uh, if we can help that one person and keep helping this industry grow, um, then it's worth the our time to sit and, and have great conversations with great people. So thanks for hanging out and tuning in. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. And, um, you know, we'll see you on the journey. Uh, stick around in this hospitality. It's worth it. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much, Chris. Greatly appreciate it, man.